Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show that's brought to you with Levi Solicitors, who will give you 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. Michael Normanton's with me. Hello. And so is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. We still have a limited number of copies of our summer special available for sale via our website if you want to get your hands on that. 228 pages, a proper girthy, weighty thing. I thought you were going to say 228 pounds, <laughs> but that would be, a, is that the value or the weight? It's nowhere near that much money. Uh, it's eight quid plus postage and packing, and you will get a discount if you are a TSB Plus subscriber as well. So have a look at that on our website, thesquareball.net forward slash plus if you want to sign up for that. Well, we have to start on a somber note with the passing of uh, Terry Cooper, another one of the Reavy greats. And so many have fallen over the last 18 months that it's hard to know even where to begin to start paying tribute to them all and how that's going to work inside Ellen Row. But Another bona fide legend before our lifetimes, of course, but you're talking about, you know, like our parents' generations would have seen um, Terry Cooper play and, and an absolute, just a top draw player. He was always kind of around our generation, I suppose, in the way that through his son, because Mark Cooper is a manager. Didn't we play against Mark Cooper's team? We did. We beat. So long ago. I think he was in charge of Kettering when we beat them in the That's FA Cup right. just prior to the Scum game. And then, so Terry Cooper always gets remembered as part of that, and I remember him as a as a manager in the the nineties. But as a as a player, there's a very simple starting point with Terry Cooper, which is you just say that for five years he was the best left back in the world, and that's Terry Cooper. And occupying a position that was always seen as troublesome at Leeds, but the two gold standards for left back, Terry Cooper, and then for another generation it was Tony Dorigo. So you know, hugely esteemed company, and you, you have to be to be in that that Reavy side, but. Uh, for anybody who's not kind of familiar with his record at Leeds, was it 351 appearances he got? Yeah, and it should have been loads more. That's kind of there's um, there's always a sort of a tinge of regret around a lot of um, Leeds players of that era didn't win all the medals that they should have, didn't win all the cups that they should have, and in Terry Cooper's case, didn't play all the games that he should have. 351 is about half of what Billy Bremner played or Peter Lorimer played, and it was quite simply that when he was pretty much at his peak. In uh, 1972, a routine hairline fracture. Um, nobody thought it was a particularly bad injury at the time, but it was. Uh, it went full Adam Forshaw, and he was out for 21 months. By which time, it's kind of a, a nice detail. But when Terry Cooper was getting back to fitness, Trevor Cherry was now our left back, and was saying, "Well, he's he's not having my shirt. <laughs> I'm not letting Terry Cooper back in." And then Frank Gray was coming through as well, so there wasn't much. Um, 
room for him in our our team anymore. So it was it's it's a, a shame how it kind of suddenly stopped when he had so much more to give and when he was in the middle still of kind of redefining what a, a left back was and and can be because he was never a particularly good defender going backwards he wasn't the best but he was a he was essentially a left winger who played better as a left winger starting from left back they, they tried him if, if you look through the the first few years of team sheets when um terry cooper's first appearing he's making about 15 appearances a season for three seasons and sometimes he's wearing three sometimes he's wearing 11 trying to get willie bell out of the left back position and trying to get albert johansson out of left wing and then eddie gray took over from albert and terry cooper took over from willie bell and what that gave us was essentially two left wingers who would absolutely go and torture right backs because they knew that behind them at left half was Norman Hunter. So any ball over the top to where Terry Cooper should have been, Norman Hunter was just dealing with that. And it was all about what um, Cooper and Gray gave to the team going forward, which not many other fullbacks at the time were playing as far forward. And with that style as well, where it wasn't just Paul Reaney got forward a lot, but a lot of the Reavy team always say that Paul Reaney was actually not a very good footballer at all. So to say skill wise and technique wise, he he wasn't there. He'd bomb forward and cross. Whereas Terry Cooper would bomb forward and he would dribble and he he'd cut inside and he would shoot. He didn't score many, but him and uh, Eddie Gray were all about skill on the left side. Whereas the right side was Peter Lorimer and Paul Reaney, which was all about Peter Lorimer shooting really hard and Paul Reaney running really fast. So that was what he was bringing from 1967 to 1972 and the. Mexico World Cup 1970 when he was one of England's best players and his uh, his white boots and his occasional sort of Che Guevara style moustache he's a quite a character in his uh, in his way Did he come through the ranks at Leeds? Yeah he was um, the interview there's a good interview that Leeds have put on the official website that um, was taken from Leeds 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 magazine from 2000 I think and Eddie Taylor who has written for the square ball a lot claimed not claimed, but he put his hands out that he'd written it at the time. Um, and he talks about going for, for trials at, at Leeds and playing against Paul Reaney um, as a left winger against a right back. And that was the first time he'd ever met him. But yeah, the, it was when uh, that first era of um, of Don Reavy taking over as manager and, and casting around all of Yorkshire. Um, I think Cooper was playing for some kind of team out Pontefract way, like amateurs, and just went for a trial. And at the end of the game, they offered him a contract and and that was at what schoolboy forms and stayed ever since. But it took him longer to get in because of the presence of, you know, Willie Bell as a uh, household name, the way that Terry Cooper is. But um, he couldn't get him out of the team, just a real solid, experienced left back who got us promoted from Division 2 and um, was in the team going to the FA Cup final in 65. And those early successes of the Reeve era. And Don Reeve always said he kept having nightmares afterwards because he very nearly sold. If Blackburn Rovers hadn't thought £25,000 was too much, he was going to sell him. Bit steep, twenty five grand. Whew. Well, exactly. Um, but uh, that fell through, and and then Terry managed to get into the team. He said it's one of those moments where he got really close. And the other, I mean, speaking of nightmares, the other thing about Terry Cooper is he scored the winning goal for our first ever proper trophy, the League Cup final against Arsenal. 
And um, in the week leading up to that game, he'd been dreaming every night that he was going to score the winner. And there it was. Bloody so um, he broke that. Uh, and he was just at the point as well when, um, you know, we'd lost cup finals and European finals. And um, Europe's sort of most consistent losers was becoming the, the tag around leads. Are they going to win something or are they just going to have to sell all these players and, and try something else because it's not working with, with this lot? They're not really good enough. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll get so far, but they're only ever going to finish second. And then that goal was so important of just kind of lifting the mood because then soon after that, the first cup followed and then the Division One title followed and then the one that they all really wanted that uh, the FA Cup in 1972, it was just a month before that when he broke his leg at, at Stoke. So he missed um, both cup finals then, 72 and 73? Yes, and the European Cup Winners' Cup in 73. And um, he was back fit, but didn't get in the team for the European Cup final in, in 75. And it's he's a feature of the celebrations when we won the FA Cup because they brought the cup back to Welland Road and had everybody in there to, to greet the team. And he's in a, he's in a wheelchair in a, a very natty suit with his leg in plaster and uh, trying to join in that way. The broken leg did it pretty much ended his career at least, didn't it? I know he, he did hang around for a bit longer, but it was obviously a mark of the man then that essentially everyone he played with wanted him at their club because Jack Charlton then took him to to Borough away, even though he may have not been at, at quite the same level because the injuries he still managed to play like hundred games for them and then he went with Norman Hunter, then he Billy Bremner picked him up and he did manage to sort of spin out this career for quite a long time after Leeds, whereas you would almost look at it as being if it's not going to happen at Leeds it's kind of it's almost retirement but he did still manage through it just being a good enough technical footballer to to keep playing and I think a broken leg in those days was it was worse than a broken leg now wasn't it it's fair to say like from chatting to Eddie Gray the other week just talking about his injuries and he basically played managed to play his full Leeds career on one leg it yeah, seems he, he, so. said he just adjusted the way that he kicked and ran to compensate for the fact that I think it was, the, it was his thigh muscle that was too short in one leg as a result of the injury and like the scar tissue that built up so yeah, it's, it's a sh- I mean, I guess from, from Cooper going, we we got Trevor Cherry, didn't we, and, and Frank Gray. So you you do get to kind of see these these new players coming through. But it's I'm sure it's a regret of his that he never got to play in in the cup finals that he should have done. Yeah, I mean Trevor Cherry was a a brilliant player, and that was the problem. It wasn't that Terry Cooper wasn't good enough when he he came back. He'd he'd lost something because he always said the operation to fix his broken leg went wrong. Basically, it was and it had to be reset and that's why it was 21 months I think he, he may have blamed the surgeon in Manchester for kind of cocking it up so I don't know if there was a conspiracy involved but Don Revy when he uh, got him back into the England team for his final cap when he came back and was convinced he was playing as good as ever but Trevor Cherry despite not being a, the same type of player and that's what was different about him where the kind of the the question about what Leeds would have been like if Terry Cooper had, had played those extra seasons with that style of play, Trevor Cherry was a very different player and ended up being, you know, more of a centre back and then moving into central midfield, taking over from Billy Bremner. He wasn't bombing down the left wing the way that um, Terry Cooper was. But England international and an absolutely fantastic player. And then Frank Gray going into that position as well when it meant Trevor Cherry could then move inside. Scottish international, superb player, won the European Cup with uh, Nottingham Forest. And so there was just two internationals there fighting out for the left-back shirt. Neither of them is going to give, you know, they're not going to be nice and say, tell you what, Terry, you go, and remember this is before you had, um, I think you have one substitute by this time, but it's not a squad game like it is now where they're going to rotate. If you can't get in the first 11, you're just not playing. So the opportunity to go to 
Middlesbrough. I think it was about £50,000. It was still a big transfer fee for the time and um, for a 30-year-old player, which is the other thing as well. In, in the middle of the 1970s, if you're 30, there is a question mark. Like, well, he's only got a season in him at most, doesn't he? So he had to adapt his style of play. He had to get out, uh, away from Leeds because Leeds had, had moved on in the, the 21 months. But the um, I think Michael's right that the, the fact that it was Jack Charlton who signed him, then Norman Hunter, and then Billy Browner is part of the the respect that they had in, in Billy Browner's uh, book of soccer from 1974 when uh, Terry Cooper is still at Leeds and has got back in. He talks about how um, when he was first injured, the the players used to kind of joke with him, going, oh, come on, sort that leg out, get back in the team. And then as like, after you know, months went by, the, I think the phrase from Billy is, is, is it, was, um, it was awful for us to watch him, but it was torment for him. And um, the fact that he got back from from that after 21 months and even just to get back to the point where you can win another England cap after that the players his tenacity and his his grit and his determination to overcome that was something that they respected and appreciated and supported as much as anything that he did on a, on the, the football pitch it's a shame kind of, we're kind of concentrating a little bit on the injury is something that defined him but it that he got over it was incredible but then those five years before it when he was kind of redefining what a left back could be. I think Rob Badgey wrote years ago about um, when attacking fullbacks were coming into fashion, like kind of Ashley Cole was the, the kind of player every, everybody wanted. So it really all started with Terry Cooper. He was the first one to kind of start playing that way. And uh, and ev- everybody that, that followed was really trying to do the Terry Cooper thing and nobody did it better. And that's with Leeds, we know that they were the best team that has ever existed in history. Um, that's a given. But I think even with that perspective, you look at some of the individual players and you would say, you know, like Paul Rini, you'd probably go, well, Brazil had a better right back. And if you were going to put, you know, Mick Jones or Pele in attack, you'd probably, even Leeds fans would go like, well, Pele, you might bring something. We love Mick, but maybe Pele would bring something to the team. Norman Hunter is another example where pretty much everybody would accept Bobby Moore for England would always have to be above Norman Hunter because he was just just that little bit better. So all the players, as a team, there's nobody better. Individual players, you probably you'd submit to an argument about them as individuals as to whether they were the best in their individual position. But Terry Cooper, there wasn't another left back who you could say, oh, I think he might be better than Terry Cooper. There just wasn't one. So he stands, he has that kind of distinction, this inarguable status of just the best left back there was anywhere. And everybody wanted to play like him. Everybody wanted to to learn to do what he could do. And he's almost unique in, in that. One thought on on his appearance as well, it's not related to his footballing ability, which was the absolute gold standard. But looking back through the old photos, you know, he's got that, um, that side parting. How fucking cool did Terry Cooper look in his heyday? He looked like the member of the best rock and roll or indie band that's, that's ever been. Just something about his appearance. You know, I imagine like Billy Bremner he's kind of got a dogs of war appearance he's, he's head to toe caked in mud his hair's all over the place Terry Cooper looks like he could easily go pick up a guitar straight after that there are some great pictures of that entire side aren't there there was one of the pictures I saw doing the rounds on Twitter was I think it was Terry Cooper's wedding you can just see Norman Hunter in the background in a like a sheepskin jacket and you okay Alan Clark was quite fond of a like a really sharp suit as well wasn't he massive lapels on it and stuff the whole team just looks great Ach- in, it's achingly cool isn't in it? different ways yeah I feel like maybe we're, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're too close to the, the, the modern team to actually appreciate that 
how cool Calvin looks in his Balenciaga, but <laughs> I just don't think he's got quite the same. He doesn't quite have the same kudos as a as a sheepskin jacket somehow. And then of course after um, Terry's hair fell out, Norman Hunter didn't know who he was anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's like a beautiful moment, that video which you tweeted out, actually, didn't you, Michael? And then the club um, tweeted it as well, just of, of the little reunion around the centenary. And little did we know at that time just how poignant that would prove to be, uh, given all that we've lost over the last 18 months. In reflection, it really was well-timed as that thing, wasn't it? I mean, it, it was it was literally the last chance that we, we got to appreciate those number of players in the same room and them meeting each other was lovely and the fact that there were so many people there to see it and we've got those clips. So I think it's the way the last 18 months have gone. I feel like everyone has realised how important it is all of a sudden to, to do something for these people. What that actually is. I mean, it almost feels like a disrespect to Terry Cooper that we, we have the same conversation here as we've had with Norman and with Jack and all these people who have done an absolutely crucial part of the club. But what do we do for them all? For, for them all. Yeah, it's the yeah. same conversation we've been having since then I suppose and that, that, that conversation has become more urgent as we've lost each one in turn and that, that sadness kind of I don't know it's, it's exponential isn't it you start to realise the gravity of, of what's happened and how many of these legends we've lost and it feels like a more urgent conversation needs to happen around what we do to commemorate them but we, it always does in the wake of losing someone yeah and I think we sometimes forget in the midst of all the, the grief that's that's happening so regularly and horribly that we did do something and that centenary dinner is exactly it. And it wasn't just the the dinner. They got all the players who were alive at the time and there was thankfully a lot of them together and gave them all the freedom of the city of Leeds while they were alive to appreciate it and enjoy it. And Norman Hunter, he was one of the people who, who did the main interviews after being given that honour and said that he, he, you know, he couldn't believe it and he, he, it absolutely, it, it meant the world to him. So what we're talking about now in terms of commemoration and memorials and things, I think it's more for our benefit and also for the benefit of future Leeds fans so that they understand what Leeds players meant um, so that somebody, you know, five years from now, that there's something at Elland Road that says who Terry Cooper was and, and what he did. And there's the, there are little bits of that around, like the uh, Bremner Square and the Centenary Square do have names but whether that's enough is a is a different story and then naming all the the stands at the the ground after different players keeps you know norman hunter's name on the south stand means that he will never be forgotten for as long as that's there but it is kind of that part of it is how we remember the players for the future i think we can't forget and shouldn't forget that the centenary event and the freedom of the city in particular when all the players got together at the civic hall and they were all given this honour and they all, you know, wined and dined and toasted and making speeches and enjoying and being back together in each other's company while they're at the city. There is no, it, it kind of gets underrated because it's not a physical object that we have and it's not a statue, yeah, yeah. it's nothing else. But the city and cities in general don't have anywhere else to go. After you've given somebody the freedom of the city, there is nothing higher that Leeds has as a city to give to anybody um, apart from what it already gave to that team. I think it gets left out of the conversation sometimes that they they got it they were there they enjoyed it terry cooper will have i don't know if they got like a, a medal or a certificate or whatever but it was put in his hand said this is a recognition of everything that you achieved and it was every player from i think it was 1964 to 1975 they all got it and they all got it together so it did happen so that part of it i feel quite content in a way that it was well timed as michael said before this awful run of 
of horrendous news that seems to keep following one after another is just remember. They're not forgotten is what we're saying. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They're not forgotten and they weren't forgotten and they were all reminded that they've never been forgotten in a huge way before this all started um, happening so uh, quickly and suddenly. And so it's this kind of this, yeah, there's, there's two separate things. They, they, they have not been ignored. They were not ignored. They did all get the freedom of the city of Leeds and it's uh, not insignificant. And then what we do from now on is more of an us thing. Although I do wonder if there should be something in the city as well as the obvious stuff that will, I guess, appear at the ground over over time and as there's, there's development going on. But just from the point of view of that team putting Leeds as a on the world map, I guess, in terms like people people travel from Norway who are children because their dad supported a t- or their granddad even it'll be at this stage supported a team and it's well it was it I and mean, you know we had a conversation with Ed Cowburn didn't we over on on the extra ball about uh, we, we were talking initially about the kits and from that we got into like brand identity which sounds grubby when you're talking about it in the context of somebody's passing away but it's relevant in the sense that what Ed brought up was that actually that Reavy team made the city of Leeds famous as much as anything so they should be part of the identity of the city and I think what you're saying there Moscow about something physical and it being a little bit more for us yeah I mean if we want to explain and sell Leeds United to this new audience that we're trying to engage and put our finger on exactly what Leeds United's identity is because I'm not quite sure we've got there yet as a as a whole thing I think we know we kind of feel it and we know but in terms of selling it to the outside world I think that team players like Terry Cooper need to be front and, and centre of that. It's probably almost for the best that it does come after they got the the freedom of the city of Leeds and then everything else is kind of carries on because there's going to be so many arguments. If you, if you start trying to do a city centre artwork, for example, or a statue or something like that that represents all of those players to everybody who wants to remember them, you know, is, are they, is it going to come out looking like that Ronaldo bust or something? And is Or if you go for something abstracts like that um oh what do you call it um who's the face who wrote frankenstein mary shelley <laughs> yeah and wasn't there that awful kind of um attempt at a statue to to commemorate her where it's like a tiny little six inch model on top of a big plinth so if you try to do something abstract everyone's gonna go well oh, that looks fucking rubbish and again the the purity of giving them an honor is kind of is good in a way because it's inarguable it's it's kind of it's, yeah, I know it's, yeah, its yeah, value yeah. is yes, that it's intangibility. Yeah. Yes, Whereas if yeah. you start trying to do, I mean, the Trust's mural at, at Pudsey that has Peter Lorimer and Norman Hunter and Trevor Cherry and Jack Charlton on it, it's done in a particular style that some people don't particularly like and other people think it looks absolutely wonderful. So you're getting into the realms of taste. Whereas um, your name in the Southland after Norman is given the, you know, don't forget South Leeds Centre for Sport is the John Charles Centre for Sport. And it was kind of, it feels accurate in a way that a tribute to a player can be the name of a sporting facility so that everybody who goes in there and uses it, you 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 use that stadium in the name of John Charles. And I don't know if it's about whether, because they're talking about building, um, well, they are going to build a new park on the, the south bank around Tetley, which is next to where um, the Salem Chapel is, where Leeds United was founded. Do you call part of that, is that the Don Reavy Park? And you name a place after it, and then you don't worry too much about the, the kind of the, the statue side of it. And does mm. that bring it into the city? Some way, and then, but can you get away with? Does it have to be the Don Reavy, Gary Sprite, David Harvey, yeah, yeah, Rainy Cooper, mainly? It's the problem we raised actually about naming the stands, isn't it? It's like once you've run out of stands, and then if then we lose more, we had no idea we'd lose so many more so quickly. 
that you're then left with, okay, that, that will actually perhaps that's what fuels that that sense of urgency around wanting to commemorate it. But it's certainly a sad story. And and, it, and story is the right word. It, it comes to, to hark back to what Ed Calpin was saying on the the extra ball and about the conversation about it does it does interface with with branding, unfortunately, but it is about how we tell the story of Leeds United's history and how those things are remembered and going even further back to, you know, I always bring up Willis Edwards, who played as many games for Leeds United as anybody and was with the club for, I think, 35 years as player, manager, backroom staff. He overlapped from 1924 to 1960 when Don Revy was a player when he he, he finally left and also lived um, his mum ran the pub that became the Duchess of York venue, the Robin Hood, and he used to live upstairs. And that's, you can't get much more Leeds than Willis Edwards, even though he was from Chesterfield, which is a very Leeds story that somebody comes in from outside, like Don Reeve, who's from Middlesbrough, Marcelo Bielsa's from Argentina, and but they represent the city in a better way than somebody from the city might. Billy Bremner as well, as an example, comes from Scotland. His story, you know, he's absolutely nowhere. And, you know, if we were Preston and we hadn't had any success since 1920-whatever, we'd probably have a stand named after Willis Edwards, but it's, it's not there. And where that fits into kind of the points that Ed was making about when you're designing a, a kit or when you're designing, uh, telling a story around something that's happening at the club is if you brought back blue and yellow, well, I suppose it would have been um, blue and white stripes when it was, if you're talking about <laughs> Willis Edwards and Starwood, if you bring that back as a, as a kit, do you then, you tell the story of Willis Edwards as part of this thing that the club is, is doing. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you have to put up a, a statue that's there forever or name a stand after that person or have them there. But you do something at some point that brings that story back and you tell that story and then maybe the next season you are doing... Um, do you remember Willis Edwards when he had the uh, fluorescent stripes when he wore those that time? But then you do you come back and you're doing the blue and gold halves, for example, and you start talking about Eric Stevenson and, and players like that who, and John Charles gets brought up again and his history in, in that kit and that gets in, involved in, in that and you just spend a year talking about this player or that player or this story or that story and there's little hints of it with that ham-fisted attempt of uh, the, the maroon kit was somehow something to do with winning the first cup but at least that was a nod that say right here's the, the story of how Leeds won the which first cup which we have retrofitted to this event. new kit which we designed two years ago I mean there is always an element of that with some of this stuff where you, you're bolting together a, you know we've designed a Leeds kit for uh, a white kit for Leeds United and here's a, a story that has really nothing to do with what we did because we have no choice but to make it white, but we'll do all this stuff. But there are different ways of doing these memorials. And what it is, is is less about having, to me at least, I think it's less about having that permanent, always, everybody likes this, everybody agrees, tribute, statue, whatever, but just keeping those stories alive and trying to keep them uh, talked about and keeping them current and passing down the folklore in a way rather than sort of preserving a, a piece of brass. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, we spoke about the, the forerunner of attacking left-backs. We've got a new one to speak of now. We've had a first look at, at Junior Furpo as the, well, he's the only big signing so far this summer. Friendly's... Boo, sign more. Boo. Friendly's well underway. He is bigger than I expected as well. He looks quite tall. That might just be my TV. That link-up uh, to create the Bamford goal against Real Betis, I think they pronounce it, don't they, Moscow, was very, very nice and hopefully a glimpse of what we're going to see this year. It was, yeah, it was nice to see him in the flesh. I went to Blackburn. Um, so thank you to, to Ian and to Nath from the Brudenell who sorted me out tickets for that. Much appreciated. Is he tall in real life? Junior Furpo, I mean, not I mean, I didn't, I didn't go stand next to Nathan's him. Nathan's tall. Yeah, but he looks, he looks of a, a good height. Yeah. That's because what you, I'll say. You do have the advantage now because you are one of the few, apart from the people who were at the West Brom game at the end of last season, who've seen Rafinha in the flesh, in real life, as a person, not just as a, a representation of yeah. pixels on a screen. He's not a concept anymore. He's a real living, mm. breathing human. That was exciting. Yeah. How was it then in the in the stadium? Were people keeping their distance, were they? Masks on? I mean, well, we got our tickets five minutes. We went to the ground five minutes after kickoff because Blackburn didn't send a lot of tickets out in time. They didn't arrive. So the people that I was getting them from were collecting at the um, at the away ticket end, which is right next to the away end at Blackburn. It's part of the stand. So it was a bit of a dash up and I took my lad who, if you've been a listener to the podcast in recent times... Had Spurs a, fans getting tickets, he had, sickening. He had a little uh, flirtation around Spurs because he thought Harry Kane was cool. We now know Harry Kane is not cool. Particularly, uh, he's not turned up for Tottenham training this morning, has he? He's just not, <laughs> not showed up. That's, that's, that's cool. Sort of, I think that's yeah. the coolest thing Harry Kane's ever done. It's the most rebellious thing he's done in his life. But I'm pleased to say that Sam is now very much died in the wall. Leeds United refers to Leeds United as we. You know, he's getting training kit and the and the Chelsea away kit for um, for his birthday which is next week so we've got him he's one of us now I hope he's not listening to this I'll ruin the surprise no nah, he, he doesn't listen to podcasts he's, he's only turning 10 he'd be, be alright so you're just getting uh, disinformation on YouTube at that age I suppose the point is he's only a slight lad and uh, we had to fight our way in to get to the seats now our seats as it transpired were on the back row of the Blackburn it's an away game you don't have seats just go team. wherever well, yeah, so we, we got about three quarters of the way up towards the back. The aisles were full, so I just plonked him, stood him on a seat next to me, and I stood in the aisle for 90 minutes. That's good enough. That's um, fire hazard. Yeah, yes, very much so. But no, it was, a, it was a good view, and he could see all right, and he enjoyed it. He very much enjoyed the swearing, which is, I think, one of those things that captivates you as a kid, doesn't it? But no, it was just, it was just nice to be in, in a football ground, and there were a couple of moments early doors when I felt quite emotional just at the concept of being there and just... Just some nice little touches, like there was a lad who was crowd surfing at one point and the stewards, I think, were going to wade in and remove him, but then thought better of it because they realised they weren't going to get through all the Leeds fans all the way up to the top of the uh, top of the stand. I don't know, just all of it, the experience, it was just really nice to be back. And yeah, like, you know, when it comes around to commemorating the players that we've lost, and but being back in Ellen Road, because that's our home, that's 
It is going to be a moment. I know that. It was a slightly strange experience watching the Blackburn game because it sounded really good, but mainly you could just see empty seats because there were, I think there were more Leeds fans than Blackburn fans. Yeah, there, there in, were, yeah, yeah. In total. But, and, and the Leeds fans were obviously all squished into one end, whereas the Blackburn fans were spread around about 25,000 seats. So you couldn't really see or hear them for the majority of the game, but you could. You just always knew there was this big presence of Leeds fans at one end, so it was nice. Strange. He, he, he came across loudly on um, on live now. Live now. Live now. Live now. <laughs> live one. now. Live. I can never remember which way the the rules are. Yeah, I got the feeling or the impression that quite a lot of Blackburn fans had looked at that game, that game and gone, just, "Don't fancy that. We'll let Leeds have that one. <laughs> Stay home." <laughs> yeah, that just that that. Journey to the away game, finding somewhere to park, slightly unfamiliar territory, remembering what it looked like last time you were there. Just all that, all those little behavioural things that that are exciting about an away game. You know, going past pubs and seeing the coppers outside and Leeds fans taking over the pub um, just at the bottom of, I think it's Jack Walk Away where we parked the car, housing estate and walked down past the pub and it was just full of Leeds fans. Just things like that, those those sights and sounds we've missed. It's what we've all missed during coronavirus, isn't it? Blackburn. <laughs> well, the, the good news is I did take a disease test this morning and disease free so it wasn't the super spreader event maybe we feared or certainly not in my case I know I'm only one of 5,000 but um, all clear on this front which is great but on the football front it was nice just to see Leeds do the Leedsy patterns because I think what you lose when you're watching on TV is that sense of the whole pitch that you get when you're inside a stadium and you can see the movements and you know it's almost like ballet isn't it the way that Bielsa gets his team to play and even though there were moments when it was a bit under par. You remind yourself it's a it's a preseason friendly. What's important is that they're looking for the right passes and they haven't forgotten how to play football. No Bamford or Phillips either. I think that made a, a fairly major difference in this one. Cost Costa a centre forward. I don't want to see that again. To be perfectly honest, didn't work, did it? No. <laughs> I feel like we have the same conversation about Costa for three years. This is his third year, isn't it? Just waiting for him to yeah, kick we're co- on. Yeah, Just we're coming into our third year of having the same conversation about how the cost of like well. <laughs> Could he just be a bit better? Do you think he could be a bit better somewhere? It didn't work, did it? I mean, it isn't his position, so fair enough. It was mm. good to see new signing Jackie Harrison look good, though. Yes. Thought he was excellent. Yeah, he did. And pillow feet. Yeah. Pillow feet. And there was that, let's not forget that um, that slide tackle that the, um, is he now knackered, Diego Urente, mm. uh, did. Was it Armstrong, I think, who, who burst mm. through inside the area on the left-hand side as they look at it? And he was about to ping off a shot and... Urente had anticipated and did that brilliant slide tackle, which looked great in the flesh, I have to say. I mean, we played all right, didn't we, overall? We deserved to probably win. I mean, they I don't think they would have scored had it not been for that yeah. uh, at no time ridiculous we, free kick. At no time did we look under serious threat or pressure. It was just, we, we controlled it without ever really getting out of second or third gear, I thought. You can tell it's a training exercise. Yeah, I mean, their goal, I think there was only one angle of it, so you, you couldn't properly tell, or maybe two, but from the same, same side of the pitch. I don't think you could fully tell how deflected that was, but... Yeah, I mean, I was right in line with it, and it was one of those where your eyes start going one way then suddenly have to jolt the other to the other side of the net. It was really massively deflected, yeah. I mean, the guy celebrated it like he just scored a... a he was like Tardelli in the in the World Cup, wasn't he? But ran off like the their, greatest day of his life. Their fans did. That's the first time we heard them. And Seemed had, a little bit odd. They tried a little sing song after that and got like woo <laughs> Leeds fans doing that. So that was that was all good fun. Just that that pantomime stuff. Whereas our goal was a crisp and true finish which was, absolutely didn't deflect into the goal it was very good I thought um, yeah no just just great to see him I thought Furpo looked uh, he's got the right ideas obviously he looked a little bit rusty because he's not completely au fait with the system yet and he's getting to know his new teammates but um, he's certainly attacking and I, I look forward to him linking up with uh, with Jackie on the left I think that could be a, a real threat this year so we'll see how that pans out and did you watch the the, the Beatis game Moscow yes I did yeah 
What, what would you uh, like me to say about it? I'd like you to tell me what you thought of that man kicking Pascal Strout. Oh, it's bloody awful. I went and uh, actually looked into his background trying to find out if he makes a trying habit to, of this. Trying to find out his address. Kind of thing. Um, he was sent off, uh, I think it was last season, against Bill Bow. So I don't know if it's just against uh, teams that Bielsa has something to do with it brings out the rage in him. But um, I think it was only after about four minutes. It's a horrible kind of over-the-top potential shin snapper that he gets a straight red for. But beyond that, I, I couldn't find much kind of uh, evidence of him being a serial kicker. It must just have been Pascal Stroik. He kind of kicked Stroik back into childhood <laughs> in a, a way because when Stroik had kind of recovered and got up, before he ended up going off again, he did seem kind of look around for the guy who kicked him, and he looked at me and just went, "What did you do that for?" <laughs> it was like a real, just like there was no trace of this is these are professional athletes competing. It was just it was a proper what are you doing? Yeah, it was just a real playground thing. Like, what did you kick me for? What are we playing? I remember playing school football for uh, for my school in Bradford, and we played against um, Buttershaw, which if you're familiar with the film, Rita Sue and Bob 2, I think it was filmed uh, bits at that school, which was quite an eye-opener when you're playing on the same school field that they were uh, messing about on. And there was a, a kid who was playing centre-half, and, and I know it's hard to believe, but I was a hotshot striker back at school there in the number nine shirt. Who would you liken yourself to? Uh, sort of cross between, I think, Patrick Bamford, probably a little bit more clinical, and uh, these days, Mark Viduka. But, but uh, no, I was, I was all right. I was a decent footballer back then. Uh, I think I finished top scorer in Bradford that um, that year. We won the league, which was all right. I know. All right, we'll do a spin-off podcast about your football career if we, if we must. The match ball. Sounds thought. like we're the, doing it. Match, what was your point? Match ball. Thought. No, I, I was going to say I was marked by a centre-back who he started the game just... I mean, not even pretending, but just booting me as I ran. Like, so I run, kick, kick. And I said to him, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I'm kicking you, mate. Yeah, and he, yeah, that's basically what he said. So I'm kicking you. <laughs> what does he fucking look like? Uh, but the um, the nice payoff for that is that within about three minutes, I'd scored a goal, uh, first of five that we put past him. And he'd been sent off for telling his teacher, who was the referee, to fuck off. Needless to say, I had the last one. <laughs> we did as well. Yeah, so did we learn anything from these friendlies? Did we learn anything from Betis losing 3-2? There's an argument, and I felt it, as the um, the Helder Costa argument sort of took hold again, I kind of think, oh, could we not just play these behind closed doors so nobody has to go? Because, you know. And without cameras. Without cameras, nobody has to know anything about these games, about just print the score in the paper and move on. Even Would you put it on teletext? Maybe even not print the score anywhere because it's so uneven where you've got players at different levels of fitness, players coming back from different tournaments have had different breaks or under different loads have done different training real our opponents have played a different number of games so they're at a different stage and everything's kind of there's there's nothing really even about it and we know from Bielsa's pre-seasons up to now that we're never great remember we got spanked 4-0 by scum on the other side of the world for no reason didn't we and then didn't Forrest Green rattling goals past Bailey Peacock Farrell as if he wasn't there, start, <laughs> starting that particular trend. And then we go into the the season and we're absolutely fine. And it's kind of, it's difficult to make the link between pre-season friendlies and first game of the season. And I can never remember when I think back to, I used to go to quite a lot of pre-season friendlies because it was easier to convince my dad to take me to a pre-season friendly than it was to a league game because it was cheaper, it'll be quieter and all this kind of stuff. And they're always fucking rubbish. So I, I always have that in the back of my mind when I'm looking at Helder Costa and thinking 
why can't you kick the ball straight? Or why can't you just pass to a lead shirt? Kind of one thing. But then the other side of it is that Jamie Shackleton is suddenly the breakout star of July 2021. Looks like he's going to be our best player for the entire season. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play a game all season because it's fucking <laughs> Marcelo Bielsa or, or watch that. Very, very good, Shackleton. Very good. Sit down. Um, so you, you can't necessarily tell, and it is all about getting fitness. And then, you know, if you look to Melier going full Van der Heuvel against, uh, in one game, like two terrible goalkeeping errors in not even the space of 24 hours. It was only about 14 hours between them, wasn't there? We know Melier is a much better keeper than that, but. You know, do you shaking off the rust, isn't do it? Do you turn off? Do you turn off that match thinking, well, is this Chris Class going to be there? Is he going to be good enough, or do we need to get go back and cancel that loan for for Kiko and and sort that out? Whereas, you know, realistically, we know it will be fine. So, um, what it tends to do, though, you're right, Moscow. It tends to fuel anxiety around transfers. Yeah. That's all it does because the window's open for another month or whatever, and everyone's going, "Well, we're awful. You've got to go go and buy X, Y, and Z." Even Click's goal against them. Was you know it was a, a through ball from them from them. <laughs> so I don't know what we we necessarily learned from from that. So it was a a good example of um, the opening goal with Harrison and Dallas and Furpo crossing for all of them crossing for for Bambo. That was nice and there's there's good bits, but they're probably working harder and playing better in murder ball than they are in in these games that we're having to pay money to watch. I will say, Click has looked good. I think he's possibly been our best player across these these two games so that's good because I know we were a bit concerned about him at points last season that he looked to have <laughs> to say he'd gone would be a, it would be a stretch but he didn't look like the old clicky did he whereas now he looks he does just look back to normal and also like Jamie Shackleton could play midfield the Calvin thing is still a bit of a concern I don't think Cock did he did better there against Blackburn against uh, Betis he did look at points a little bit lost I'd, I, he doesn't seem to quite hold his position in the same way as Calvin does like he Calvin will chase to a point and then he'll almost reset and and he, he seems to keep the shape better you, I don't you, you could argue maybe it's to do with his center forward uh, center back sorry leanings like your your program to go close the ball down and make a tackle or whatever engage where, with it sooner yeah whereas you could argue Calvin's is perhaps a little bit more about positional sense but we're talking about football now and that's terrifying so let's move on quickly and also I mean it is also pre-season and this is a I know he has played in this position before but he's not played there for most of his career, has he? So he's still learning the position and learning what Bielsa asks of him. And, you know, maybe he was playing quite far up the field and doing that because Bielsa had told him to at half-time. So maybe he was he was completely accurately following instructions. Who knows? There was something very um, surreal about seeing two of the statesmen of the game, the elder statesmen in uh, Bielsa and Pellegrini, just pissing around at university sports ground. <laughs> Pellegrini sticking with his lockdown hair, isn't he? He's getting bigger and wilder by the day. We still don't even know where we're going to play Villarreal yet. Secret, isn't it? But what yeah. we what we do know is that's how the value is extracted from your live now preseason. Mm. Um, yeah, last week I was getting it slightly well, not slightly wrong, completely wrong because I'd forgotten that the um, Ajax game was already included in it. Um, and the question was, would they then throw in another one? And to be fair, they they have, I suppose, five preseason friendlies for what is it, twelve ninety nine? Isn't a a bad deal, even if it's more expensive than they initially announced and when they're advertising it as a series of friendlies against Europe's elite and the most expensive of them all is the Blackburn game at four ninety nine and then Ajax and um Villarreal I think about three ninety nine. It's like how can they be cheap? I don't know if it, if it was down to Blackburn said that they had to get 
you know, we charge it five per game because they were also directing people to like that's all the fucking and why they like <laughs> just the, exasperation. The only two the only two games that are the same price, as far as I can tell, are Ajax and Villarreal. But the rest of them it's four ninety nine, one ninety nine, two ninety nine, three ninety nine across and then another three ninety nine. Well just charge the same price for fucking all of them and make it simple. <laughs> Who puts that I don't know. There would have been ma- making them. making a simple thing slightly more complicated than it, it needed to be. There will be reasons, Moscow. There will be reasons. Has there been uh, has there been watching LUTV this past week? I've not been I've not been checking in. <laughs> yeah. All those nice uh, the perks of membership. You get do, a, a free pass for nothing. You do get the um the full ninety in theory. So you can go if you didn't watch live on live now. Then the who did we play Blackburn and. What's the other one? Geisley? No. Yes. Yeah, the Geisley. (laughs) Fleetwood. Fleetwood. I think the Geisley full 90, um, but then was Fleetwood Friday night? Yes. Totally lost track of where we are. Yeah, Fleetwood and Diabetes at time (laughs) of speaking have not shown up on there as yet, but technically you can pay a pound a week and get the full... um, Oh, no, there we go. Right, there's a full match replay now for Leeds against Real Beaters. So if you didn't watch it live and you want to watch it, it is on LUTV, so there is a point to it. Good. I'm in pleased. that sense, it's like a, a cheapo option. With reference to Fleetwood, we never got the, the grace and surprise that was hinted at, So we? they were going to win, probably. Oh, that, was it the dive that they got for the, the penalty or whatever? I did hear that the only thing that was different is that they'd agreed to not make substitutions for the last half hour. All right. Which is kind of... Yeah, something we've never seen <laughs> wow. in football before. <laughs> I, think it, I guess it was just maybe a stipulation of don't make the game daft because it sometimes gets that way in friendlies doesn't it when people will change like eight players mm. at the hour mark or whatever it was like they obviously wanted to have a play against a, a set side for some of that wow thrilling but yeah it wasn't exactly um, <laughs> I don't know I just I was hoping for some sort of really novelty aspect like you said before like somebody parachuting in or I don't know a police dog display or Put them all on segways yeah something like that some, some magic in those giant balloons what mm. they call those bubbles that you've you, you, mm. like, yeah. a, I know you mean. like a hamster could have all been doing that. And then that's a, a way to avoid injury, isn't it, in pre-season? If only Cresswell had had one round his head, he would be okay now, wouldn't he? Yeah, we, we didn't touch upon the fact that all of our defenders are uh, forever injured. Cooper was injured at the start of this, presumably, because we've not seen him yet. Yeah. He played golf. He did play golf. Yeah, he looked all right on the So golf did Adam Falshaw, though. I mean, so. I mean, it feels like a different skill set to the one that we need. Sport, well, you need to be able sport. to stand up. Michael, you, you, you play a, a bit of golf. Uh, and and would I, and do I look in a fit state to play ninety minutes for Leeds United? No, I mean that would <laughs> well, be cruel. You, well, there you go. I then. don't want to be cruel. No, I mean I would I would struggle with ninety seconds. I would think. I mean, you've, the been, you've been busy recently, haven't you? You must have been watching the uh, the Olympics as well with your coach's eye, um, thinking how you could put some tips out there for for the Olympians to to pick up on. Maybe like the hundred meter dash, whatever it's called. What would you say to them? Uh, just run as fast as you can. Yep, in in a straight line as well is important because you've got to stay in your lane. Okay. Someone did. Um, Jerry, he did tag me into a, a Twitter post of an Irish boxer saying um, he just he, he hit him as much as he as hard as he could or something like that, which is which is great advice I think for box. Too many boxers you see him you see him not really smacking him, yeah. and I think you oh that's, footwork this footwork that no, just, yeah, just rubbish just hit him really hard and right in the face. Yeah. That's where I'd do it as what well. What would be your uh, your approach to the high jump, for example? Um, springy legs, get what? your legs as springy as you can. Are you trying to get? Is it over the bar that you're aiming for? Is that what you'd, you'd suggest? Football under the bar. 
mm. uh, high jump over the bar. Yeah, and, and you've got to make sure you get your legs over it too. There's no point right. just getting your head over because the rest <laughs> of your body will send it clattering right down and then and then that's not allowed. Ah, you nice. can't argue the toss on that one. It's a similar skill set, isn't it, with pole vault only you've got a stick. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you get higher with your stick. Have you got any recommendations on stick? I've not seen any of the stick jump yet. Is it, is it, is it been on? I mean, you see a man or a woman or whoever's doing it running mm. along with a big stick and they shove it in a hole in the ground and it springs them up and then they try and get over it, much like, as Moscow said, the, the, the high jump. So yeah. if, if you've got a recommendation around sticks, that was, that was my particular thing I was looking at. A, a long long and a springy. Yeah. That's what I'd look for in a stick. You can find, part of the joy of being a kid is like going to some woods and finding a good stick, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd probably just head out to like Adel Woods or something maybe if you're in Leeds I don't know I don't know where you find a local it, wood got a strong stick game in Adel do you think I'd say so probably yeah you have a good rummage round don't get make sure you need to make sure they're not sort of half rotten and everything but yeah get, get yourself a good stick and, and just give it a try that's what I'd say to all the kids out there <laughs> just get yourself a stick and, and have a go jump over <laughs> you can go over walls cars anything you want mm-hmm. isn't there the uh, like a mountain biking course or a BMX course at Middleton Woods now isn't there so they can see if you can uh, see Angus Kinnear down there Yes, <laughs> doing a forward roll on his BMX, well, spinning he is, over uh, his head. If you've been following us on socials, we are due to speak to Angus uh, in about another week's time, so in the week leading up to the season. Give me some cycling tips. And he? he did say when we arranged it that he needed somewhere to park his bike, so <laughs> he can maybe use the, the half pipe that we've got in the office. I don't. Uh, is, is Angus, we need to ask him about this, is he looking quite buff? I know he was spotted in the away end at Blackburn, and he was doing a lead salute, and he had quite a lot of bicep on uh, show. I was, I was kind of having a little, he, um, a little swoon over him. We clocked each other at half time, oh. and he waved at me, oh. which I, I don't know. I felt pathetic, I, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I'd given away some sort of secret. I don't know. Uh, I was going to do, do the Alioski love heart and tongue out, but you know, didn't. This is Gianni Alioski. That's what he says, isn't it? In all his videos, Did that's you, my favourite part of all his videos. Is the part where he goes, "This is it's me." Gianni Alioski. <laughs> He's got I feel, that, I feel referring to himself in the third person. We've let him go at just the the wrong time, I feel. He's just hitting his stride. Gianni Cam never got to this point where he was actually turning to camera. And it would have been great if he was doing all his antics, if he's, you know, doing his dolphin noises and all this, and then he just suddenly stops that, turns to camera and goes, hello. Breaks the fourth wall. It's Gianni Alioski here. <laughs> I he's, gonna be, I he's gone Barry that. Scott, <laughs> is what he's done. Introduce every video. I know people will have been upset at the prospect of him speaking to that team in Turkey. And we've obviously now aware that he hasn't gone there. At least now we can bookend his time at Leeds and say that is that and just put it to bed because he did us the video. I mean, it had the potential to go horribly wrong compared to the way that it did end. But I think we're are we all generally in agreement that it's good that we can just say goodbye and that's that. And it was a nice video, wasn't it? It seemed, I've no reason to believe it wasn't heartfelt. And he's got a face that's kind of hard to dislike, isn't it? Because he's just, <laughs> he's not a serious person, is he somehow, Alioski? Even though he's being sincere in it, there was mm. just still a bit of me going, go on, do something. Yeah. Go on, go on. You know, you'd, or it was, I was expecting him to pan out and he'd have no pants on or something just because of, just because of japes. But um, yeah, it's probably the last we'll see of him for a while because I'll be honest, I don't intend to watch an awful lot of the um, the Saudi league. I'll watch as much as I always have. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and whatever his conversations with the other club or what his agent dealt with with them, whatever came out of it, if it pushed his wages up, if it meant they had to pay Patrick Van Aanholt more and then we'll end up going bust as a result of it, all to the good. And if it meant he got more negotiating in with Ali, all the better as well. Um, you know, it, it's how it uh, 
how it turns out is the thing to look at and how it turns out is with an incredibly cringeworthy <laughs> welcome video where he has to wish the, uh, the chairman of the club a happy birthday <laughs> before announcing that it's signing. And that was, I think that's the great part is he went through all the happy birthday stuff. It's like, it is a great day for the, the president of the club. I wish to join him. And then, and then he got to introducing himself because it's me, Gianni Alioski, and I am coming to uh, very happy to sign on this great day. And that was the, uh, that was a, the, the real great moment of that. Well, just by coincidence, I'd like to point out that in another month's time, it is Andrea Ratrizzani's birthday. He'll be turning 47. Is that when we finally announce our second big signing of the summer? So we'll uh, we'll save it for then so uh, that I they just, could be wishing him a happy birthday. I just want to go on record now and be the first to say happy birthday, Mr. Chairman. Uh, or whatever it was that Ben Fry used to do. Uh, we have a new occupant for the number 13 shirt, which again feels like for the best. Kiko Casilla has gone to Elche, as we know. He has done an interview saying... There won't be a return to Leeds, which feels like, again, for the Good. best. The Norwegian Bailey Peacock Farrell has signed, <laughs> hasn't he, Moscow? He looks uh, fine. He does, doesn't he? And, yeah. and, you know, for as much as he's, um, we are joking, of course, we don't put, damage the poor kid's uh, self-esteem at this stage, but he, um, yeah, he's, he looked a little bit uh, spooked, didn't he, when he was playing his final games for Valarenga, probably because of the interest around this and being unsettled and all the rest of it. And he's not the finished article yet. Ask anybody in the game kind of thing around around Norway in the same, but he's going to be brilliant. And he doesn't get, you know, a call up to the senior team with, for good reason. Unless he's played something like, something ridiculous, like 50 odd games for the youth teams. And I'm not broken down which ones they all were, but it seemed like um, a lot. And they also did, uh, he had a, a farewell video at Valarenga, which unlike any farewell video I think I've ever seen because it starts with him in the changing rooms in front of the squad and it looks like somebody's leaving a job. He's on. It, he's quite close to saying, you know, and I've, on the table over there, I brought in some buns for everybody and uh, four o'clock and then you kind of wink, wink at the boss. You go, well, maybe half past three, maybe a little bit early, but I'll be in the pub over the road after and we'll, uh, we'll all have a drink and who knows where we're going to end up tonight. Yeah, that kind of vibe, but obviously it's all in Norwegian and I don't. I didn't understand any of it apart from, I'm not sure if it's the team manager or a goalkeeper coach or a youth coach who's kind of standing next to him, who is the person that's saying like, well, obviously Christopher's been with the company for uh, a long time. He was uh, brilliant with the um, the accounts that he's he's kept running. He's really, and also who is, who is going to change the toner in the printer now? How will we get by without him? But then he says, uh, he obviously talks about where he's going. Um, it's in Norwegian, and then he says, and there's a pause, and he goes, "Leeds United," and there's almost like the the rest of the players are kind of like, oh, "Wow, I didn't know." He's, did you know he was going to Leeds? Wow, that's a really good move. So it's um, that's quite sweet. And then sounds well acted. And then he puts him through a little bit of uh, last kind of bit of goalkeeper training. Does a bit of kicks the ball at him a few times, and then they just sit down in the goal mouth and have a chat. And the guy whoever he is, this, this manager fellow is going on. It's almost as if he's giving him all the life advice he needs for his, his future life and career. It's quite, quite touching. I am pleased we've got a Norwegian playing for the club. It feels like we should always have a Norwegian footballer on the books at least. like Irish. We're, we're still lacking the Irish contingent, aren't we? But we've got a Norwegian to take, take up the slack. It just, did, it did, makes... you like, did you like having Tor Andre float at the club? Yes. <laughs> and Frank Strandley. And Gunnar Haller, all of them. And Tommy Narvik. Great bunch of lads. Let's not forget him. This guy, he'll do until uh, Erling Haaland's ready, won't he? I mean, he's been wearing our shorts, hasn't Tor he? Andrew Flo, of course, did play for uh, Valerenga at some point, didn't he? Yes, he did. I've just checked his Wikipedia. 
As, along with uh, Moscow, this is this is one for you, um, Henningberg and Ronnie Johnson. Those two, those two fine, two fine lads as well. So good, uh, good pedigree there. It, it is, does feel slightly concerning just having children as goalkeepers, doesn't it? But I think we've seen Melier's temperament that he's not. He doesn't seem young in his head, does he? Because that's what people think about the Ice Man. About older goalkeepers is that they, they've got the experience and they can they can move on from mistakes and stuff. Whereas I'm sure I think I think Melier is fine as long as he doesn't get injured. I'm not concerned at all. I don't really know the roots of that move to elder goalkeepers being better and having to wait their turn. Whether it is something that is about experience, you want to give them that training, or if it's just that people were so risk averse that if they had a good goalkeeper. They do everything to keep them, so there's not a chance for a, a 19 year old goalkeeper to to get the start somewhere. You know, opportunities are, are limited. If you have who's a good a good goalkeeper, Nigel Martin. Yes. Well, I mean, back in the day, we we gave him up for Paul Robinson. It turned out to be a, a huge mistake. But I was thinking more up to date. If you have Hugo Lloris, he's quite good, isn't he? If you're Spurs, you're going to do everything you can to keep him because if Harry Kane's not fucking turning up, then you need to try and hold on to your good goalkeeper. There's not really the opportunity there for a, an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old in Chris Class's case to usurp him. So they all did just end up going out on loan and then lower down the divisions. If you're Leighton Orient and you're offered Tottenham's 20-year-old goalkeeper on loan, of course, because he's going to, they're going to be better than you can find anywhere else. So it just becomes, the effect is yeah. that young goalkeepers learn their trade at a lower level for longer because people don't want to give so, up on a good thing. Such but a, then it's a niche if, market, isn't it? It really yeah. is a niche market. But I don't know if it then necessarily follows. It's then it's kind of been retrofitted that the reason for that is, oh, no, you need the goalkeepers don't become any good until they're 27. But maybe that's just been bolted on. And actually, the future is goalkeepers, the younger, the better, and we'll have a 15-year-old in goal before too long. I mean, the other thing big clubs tend to do is, as Arsenal did with um, Martinez, they have these people on the books for years. They loan them out and loan them out, and then they eventually let go of the good goalkeeper who they could have just kept in the first place because they were like, yeah, he's, he's not quite the first choice. And then eventually he reaches the point where he becomes better than everyone have that they, they already signed, have. Have they signed what's-his-face for 30 million Arsenal keeper? What's his name? Ben White. <laughs> No, it's the only signing I know. Was of. It, is it Ramsdale? I'm thinking of. They were talking. Oh about. yeah, from our, um, from Sheffield United. For, yeah, for thirty million quid. Like what? Yeah, it does make him um, keep Martinez. Uh, he was he was twenty million, and you already had him. <laughs> I mean, Arsenal's uh, poor ben. fucking poor Ben. Yeah, their transfer policy and just general policy in terms of existence. I do feel sorry for Ben White and just sorry about the whole thing and bad about how that's all going to turn out because um, I don't foresee. A happy ending. Um, ben will be fine, but you know, it, it was just, just going to have a lot of fucking idiots shouting at him for three years and then have to leave. Let's just rattle through some of the other uh, movements that have happened. Leif Davis has gone to Bournemouth on loan with the, the option of a permanent deal. That feels like he's done at Leeds then, probably. It seems so. You don't offer a, a chance for them to buy him if you think he's he's coming back, do you? It does seem slightly odd that he's been around the first team for so long and then as we're getting rid of left-backs, because I mean, Huggins is going, isn't he, as well, and we've we saw McCarron playing there for the for the under twenty threes the other night, and it, it doesn't feel like there's an obvious line of backups there, and yet we've, we're willing to let him go. So again, the kid from Chelsea, uh, not Chelsea, um, Celtic, is that an option? Is he a left back? Uh, possibly one of them. Yeah, I can only assume that they've, they're lining up somebody that they like long term better than Leif Davis. But for now, how old's Junior Furpo? I assume from his name, twenty five. He's but he? a baby. 
so Junior's 25, so he's got, you know, 10 years of service for Leeds left. Stuart Dallas is going to play until he's 50. So, <laughs> so we're not bereft there. So there is time to maybe think, well, if Leaf ain't going to be the one, and it doesn't seem, I mean, Bournemouth is actually a good move because they could get Scotty Parker's gone errantly. So not such a good move. Not such a good move. But I suppose taking anti-blazer, what's it? It's a, is it a blackit? I forget now, or, or a jazer. Oh, the, the Blardigan. The Blardigan. Take, <laughs> taking all Blardigan bias out of it, there's not, um, it's not unreasonable to think that Scotty Parker could get Bournemouth back into the Premier League with Leif Davis as their left back. So he's obviously decent, just, um, it seems like he's got to that point where he, He's not quite good enough for us, but good enough to be playing for somebody. So he might as well go and play for uh, for Bournemouth, and we'll we'll always we'll have very good days. I mean, so much of his reputation has just been built been built on the fact that there was a, a pitch side microphone during a preseason friendly. Just happened to catch that one moment, and then that's been Leif Davis since. But he has looked uh, decent when he's uh, whenever I've seen him play, and he's one. If we're ignoring. Alioski in uh, Alali, which I've already I've got a notification on my phone to see what he's up to. Um, I'm still interested. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Leaf gets on. See whether he uh, rustles his way into um, in the awesome breeze, or if he turns mouldy and drops off. <laughs> Thanks for the analogy. Mulch by let's, winter. Let's talk about Conor Gallagher quickly. Um, that's never happened. heard of him. Gone to Palace. Dead uh, to me. Shoot the Chelsea scum, I think is what we want to say about that, don't we? Are you disappointed that he's uh, he's not coming? Have we had an explanation about why he's not coming? Well, from from Danny Mills we have, and he knows, doesn't he? Well, he's got he's got blistering insight into football as Danny Mills. First of all, he must be speaking to some sort of high rollers if he's giving his opinion on uh, on this matter. It, was it was it the New York Times he was speaking to? Or was it? Oh no, no, so it was it was Football Insider, oh. Football Insider. Yeah, he he thinks that he's going to play in that Rafinha Rodrigo role. Jack Harrison's in there. Calvin Phillips is in there. That midfield area for Leeds is he's not done and dusted, but hard to break into um, than under a new manager and a new direction at Palace. So maybe he's had assurances there. He might. He, I mean, what he's he, done there he is he might is, have had more assurances, and Bielsa might not promise that. What he's done is he's listed a, a lot of players who don't play in the same position as um, as Gallagher in saying that. Rafinha and Rodrigo and Jack Harrison and Calvin Phillips. He probably wouldn't actually play any of those Abs- positions. He's absolutely not mentioned the one player that he might <laughs> replace or the two. It would be the click or Dallas yes. role, wouldn't it? And he's just not mentioned them. I don't think there's anybody well, why is think that? he's going to play well, on the way. Why, why has he not mentioned it? What do you think? Because he does not have a fucking clue <laughs> what he is talking about. We've got other football inside news as well, haven't we? From um, I was going to mention this around the uh, under-23s friendlies, but Lewis Bates, this will be Good news for him. Gabby Bonlahor oh. has been speaking to, to Football Insider. And what, he has, what, does, what does the Football Oracle have to say? He thinks that he, he 100% has a chance of playing this year, mm-hmm. which is uh, <laughs> very definite. Bloody hell, Gabby. I mean, you've got to be careful tying your uh, tying yourself to these hard-hitting opinions. Says, just keep... He's plumber, isn't he? I think so, yeah. Just keep performing in the under-23s games. There is definitely the time for young players to be given a chance in football. Year by year, it's getting more fashionable for young players to get a chance 
It's a good time to be a young player and you'll get your chance. It's getting more fashionable for young players to have a chance. So, as you said, Moscow, presumably we'll be playing a bunch of kids, won't we? Uh, like The under-15s will be turning out in another few years. I'm going to say it. This, I mean, this is a guess, but I don't think Gabby Bonlehart has even once watched Bate play. I bet he's not seen a single minute of him, not even on YouTube. Mm. And he's been asked about him here. <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, it's amazing. It's such an empty... Empty thing. It's a vacuum, isn't it? Say, does does the player that this club have just signed have, have a chance, a chance of, playing. of playing for them? One hundred percent, yes. A hundred percent chance. Yeah, hundred percent. He does have a chance of playing for them. Like uh, the value. Thank you, everybody, for 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 bringing me this. I would, I'd never would have. Arrived. It's uh, it's hashtag content, isn't it? What about oh, Lewis, O'Brien? Lewis O'Brien? Lewis uh, O'Brien. Bielsa was at Huddersfield versus Sheffield Wednesday. I don't know if he was there to to laugh or to scout or what, but um, yeah, that one won't go away, will it? Young central midfielder who originally presented the crystal maze. Yes, it felt kind of underwhelming as a midfield option, but the more you think about it, does it make more sense to you? I mean, if he's is he going to one hundred percent have a chance of playing? Because Lewis Lewis Bate. Has, has got that guarantee. Yeah. Lewis O'Brien, what's he at? Is he an 80% chance of playing? 85? Well, no, it's not, it's chance not the of, chance, of chance of playing. It's it's the chance of having a chance of playing. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to do the maths on it, see what that works out See to. what that works out to, whether it's worth signing him or not. I mean, right. we're going to have to pay about 10 million quid for him. So it's, you think? Which seems well, they, a lot. that's what they're asking for. Nah, I'll just feel the pathetic. Though, yeah. They're not getting 10 million from us. How much did they sell Jordan Rhodes for oh, about, back in the day? I think they got about seven million quid for him, something so like they, that. They can't be expecting. He's back there, isn't he? As well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tom Lees has just gone there as well. Christ, he has, hasn't he? Poor yeah. lad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite enjoy Tom Lees's career, though. He's just—he feels very old school and just a man just refusing to move house, just just going like mm, probably an offer from Chesterfield or something. He was like, ah, too far, too far. I'll, uh, I'm, I'm willing to stay in uh, West Yorkshire, but if possible, eight million pounds. Jordan Rhodes from Huddersfield to Blackburn Rovers. They're not going to have our pants down like that. And I think that's that's kind of the upper limit. It's it's the Huddersfield thing. Lewis O'Brien could be the next Patrick Vieira, Calvin Phillips, matches click combined. But I'm not giving Huddersfield town £10 million for <laughs> fucking anybody. That's just not right. A million... They'll get what they're given. Yeah, it, it is. That is exactly... And it. you'll like it. it. It feels like a million pound signing. If... um. Louis Bates has come from Chelsea. What we paid for him, like a million and a half rising to something. We can't be giving 10 times that amount of money to Huddersfield Town for a, a midfielder than we've given to Chelsea for a midfielder. You can't tell me. Who's in, is it fucking Lee Bromby, oh. I believe, is their director of, director of football. What does he know? I don't, like. I like Lee Bromby. I love his long throws. You can't, Tell me though that he has managed to produce a ten million pound <laughs> midfielder in the Huddersfield Town Academy. Because if if Lewis O'Brien is worth ten million quid, what are the rest of them like? If if they got fucking the Brazil nineteen seventy team is fucking in Canal Side, uh, Huddersfield. Can- Canal Side. I've forgotten the name of the river. <laughs> it's the what's the river in Huddersfield? The River Hud. <laughs> <laughs> Down by the River Hud. It's the, is it the Calder? Yes, because it's all Coldertale, isn't it? It's all next to the canal anyway, they call it. So what's the canal? It's the canal. It's the Calder and Hebble navigation by that point, is it? So that thing. 
that there's something in the water there that means they're all fucking Ajax 1970 with Lee Brombies turned into Johan Cruyff. Um, no. So how much did we pay for Trevor Cherry? Maybe we should cap it at that. Hundred thousand pounds, I think. Hundred. So. That's what we can have. It's completely reasonable. And he played for Bradford too, as did the this Lewis O'Brien. Admittedly, he played for Bradford after Leeds, didn't he? But still, I think he's the new Trevor Cherry, this guy, and we should pay a hundred thousand pounds for him. We and should he should play four hundred games for Leeds. He's because he sounds like he's too good to play for Huddersfield, and it sounds like he's a pretty good midfielder. So we should definitely buy him. It's the River Colne, by the way. Uh, oh, the coal. And and the canal there is the Huddersfield Broad Canal. So we were wrong on both counts, which is great. Well, whatever. It's Calderdale, Halifax. I always confuse the two. I mean, the Calder goes through Wakefield as well, oh, but I don't mm. think that claims to be in Calderdale. Cold, no, Calderdale Cold. is Halifax and out, out that way, but it isn't... Um, what, what's Kirk Lees then? There, is it the River Kirk? <laughs> the River Captain Lees? Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Get in touch if you know about rivers. <laughs> Starship Enterprise, isn't it? <laughs> or the guitarist in Orange Juice. Um... I think I've made my point. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it stands up so well done. Moscow, congratulations on that. In the absence of much else to talk about, we should pay tribute to Pablo because his banner has come down at Leeds. We have a new one that's gone up with newer people on it. Melier's on there, isn't he, on that one that's been uh, attached to the he stand on the left-hand side, among others. I think that's a virtue of him being tall and thin. Yes. So he looks good. He's got the right dimensions yeah. for it, hasn't he? It, there is a bit of waste here because... Castellon have just had a new one produced, haven't they? That they've stuck up on a tower in there. Yeah. We, why don't we just send them ours? It would have been fine. They could have just reused it. Yeah, I draw like a different kit on it. Exactly. A pen exactly. on it. But he's not even played yet, has he, Pablo? Has he not? I don't think so. I think they've had a couple of friendlies and there's been no sign of him. So get him out of there. That's what I say. <laughs> Free him. Final point then before we sign off on this one. We need to have a word about Neil Warnock. It's not Leeds United, but the fact that he's, he's wearing a fanny pack like a tourist pottering around Disney World but in there he's not got his passport he's not got his tickets for the rides has he he's not got a bottle of water he's got in there photos signed of him and I was going to say that he's signed himself I've got a feeling there's some sort of cottage industry going on Sharon sat at home uh, scribbling on these photos and there you go Neil there's your there's your bum bag it's all full of the photos I've signed them all for you that little girl in fairness that he handed one to did bizarrely look pleased no with it no she was lying she did the full, it was like getting a like a card from your granddad and you, there's some money inside on your birthday and then you open it and it's like a 20 pence piece that's solitaped inside. <laughs> and you're like, oh, thanks. I'll, um, I'll bet. And then granddad might get them. The, he's like, is is that enough? Can you, you buy a toy with that? Like, no, yeah. Like, Oh, I can get something great. I'm so like, thanks I so think in much. The, in the playgrounds of Middlesbrough, I reckon a signed Neil Warnock picture is worth like a, I don't know some monster munch and a, and a dip dab or something. What the fuck do you do with it? Currency. I mean, what it is? I I don't know if I can necessarily put myself into the the mindset of a of a ten year old girl, but I can imagine. Yes, if it's a picture of BTS, you stick that on your wall and you're happy and you that looks down at you as you go to sleep at night and it's the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning. But it's a fucking signed photograph of Neil Warnock on a bedside table. If she, 20 years from now when she's in therapy trying to get to the, the root of all her problems and then it suddenly she starts why am I only attra- Why am I only attracted to men without eyebrows? <laughs> I keep picking them. It's so strange. There'll be something in your childhood. I'm trying to find... A- 
what picture it might be. I do. I just, by the way, just to go back to the whole Huddersfield thing, I do need to apologise to the residents of like Halifax and Elland and Brickhouse and stuff because I always do this and not, without fail. Whenever I say that Huddersfield's in Calderdale, always get tweets saying it's not. You're a fucking idiot. Calderdale is Halifax, and I would like to just say for the record, the Calder and Hebel Navigation Canal uh, does run next to the River Calder through Calderdale, which is up Halifax Way and not uh, not Huddersfield. Yeah, it's Kirklees. It's yeah. Huddersfield, isn't it? Yeah, it so. is. So, final point: Adama Traore, thirty million pound. Do you want him? Um, can we can we do a swap for? No, let's not. Um, cost us fine, isn't it? Uh, I don't think we're going to get him, are we? No, not not thirty million. I would be very surprised if uh, Leeds United decided to pony up thirty million pounds for Adama Traore. Oh, it feels like if we've got that much money to spend, maybe a central midfielder would be a more obvious place to spend it. Because I think we're reasonably well covered on the wings for now, aren't we? So, yeah, I, I can't see it happening. We didn't actually speaking of of covering midfield. We don't even mention Adam Forshaw, have we? No, he's back. He's who, who is back yeah. and playing. He looks fine, doesn't he? I can think of nothing more to say. It looks very much like Adam Forshaw always did, which was kind of a fairly steady presence in midfield. Keeps things ticking over. Whether or not he'll ever be good enough to play for us, who actually knows? Because he's not even played for a first team friendly yet, has he? But um, it's good to see him playing football again anyway. Yeah. I think we've all felt quite sorry for him as much as he's become the unfortunate butt of a lot of jokes. Just the, the, the prospect of not playing football for two years which is basically what he's had to do is uh, it's kind of been fun for him so it's good to see he can at least play football again it was quite similar to I think Billy Bremner said about Terry Cooper oh, we all start you know we're all having a laugh and a joke at first like put that leg back together and then you're like uh, are you gonna is, mm. is it possible I think it said a lot that after the Geisley game he put the photo of um, of him seeing his uh, son in the crowd at the end of the match and saying that he, he finally managed to sort of prove to his son who couldn't who's not old enough to remember seeing him play a game of football before and daddy is a footballer yeah. like the ones that you see on, on TV that is what daddy does that got me in the feels that um, one a little bit so it'll be interesting I mean I think uh, he's got one year to go on his contract hasn't he and I feel like anything Adam Forshaw does now I, I don't know I mean I was a moment ago I was trying to think like a 10 year old girl now I'm trying to think like a 30 year old scouser and what would what does Adam Forshaw want out of his career now to play? And then is he regarding the rest of it? Like anything after that is a bonus. If he gets into the Premier League, will he be happy? If he does a season in the under-23s, just gets through it without his pip snapping in two, is he going to be happy? So I feel like um, the conversation around Adam Forshaw for me is kind of, it's kind of in his court really. Like, what do you want to get out of this season? What's going to be best for you? Because a lot of people are saying, Let's ship him out on loan to the championship and see how he gets on. I don't know if after everything that's going on with um, COVID and the way it's fucked everything up for so many people and um, and he's had his fitness in the middle of it all and haven't played for anything and the way that kind of ostracised his injured player. So I remember when he, he did that interview saying that we were going to piss the league, he was also saying, well, I've not actually seen any of the players in training since they've been back because I have to be in a different area of the training ground at a different time because of COVID protocols. Whether out of all of that you then want to go play for Bournemouth or something and move everything down there or if it's just stay in Leeds, stay fit, play football, train with the lads, see how it goes and uh, hopefully it could be good because he could save us 30 million quid. He's played in the Premier League before at Middlesbrough and he was good for them. I know it's all relative. Adam Clayton played for Middlesbrough in the Premier League but I wish him well. (laughs) 
Right, well, we'll wrap it up there for this week and we'll return next week due to speak to Angus Kinnear next week, so that should be good. We'll get a handle on where the club is. Is everybody ready for the new season? I hope the Ellen answer... Road, LS11 OES. I hope the, uh, the answer to that is yes. Um, and we <laughs> will... suddenly breaks down crying. <laughs> We've not done anything. All I've been doing is messing about on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll see how ready the club is and we will I think we should do predictions next week so we can laugh at ourselves come May when um, when we get them all spectacularly wrong we're going down <laughs> we're going down with a record low points total I'd be, I would snap your hand off for 18 points right now I think um, uh, at what point is Wayne Rooney taking over from Marcelo Bielsa <laughs> God we don't even mention his, his um, it wasn't really a statement was it his mumbled <laughs> apology about what he was up to we'll yeah. just we'll leave it at what he was up to yeah because um, having having farts in his face by the looks of it <laughs> bless so, him. so yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll revisit that one as their uh their disastrous season unfolds which is cool and we yeah, will return next week we'll see you in a bit the square ball podcast hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.